And Worm Trophy Kids presented by Bad News Media. It is the college football conference championship betting preview episode. And we've made it. We've made it to the finish line. 58% on the season so far in college football. It's been a good year so far. You know, we would have liked to be north of 60, but 58 is still a profitable year. Hopefully we will continue that into the conference championship weekend and bowl season, as well as the playoff system. Uh, but we've got some good games on tap this weekend. We've also got some absolute stinkers. The Fox executives cannot be thrilled with Iowa, Michigan, and are just dying for next year to eliminate the divisions. But this is the last time we'll see uh, probably a game like this. It's one of the funnier betting lines, I would say this weekend uh, we'll talk about that in a, in a bit but we are starting with our darling and that is the Pac-12 conference championship I am going to miss this conference like no other I have absolutely loved the Pac-12 we have dominated the Pac-12 on this show longtime listeners have definitely enjoyed I think our Pac-12 content because it's been very very profitable for us over the last couple of years um, this is a conference that has played some Really fun football games. Um, I, I really cherish the time that we've had with this conference. I'm sad to see it go. We saw our last Pac-12 after dark. I'm going to really miss Pac-12 after dark. I'm hoping the Big 12 can figure out something like that because I think that's going to be a, a super fun conference um, to watch. Maybe not the most elite football, but it's going to be a lot of fun, uh, I think, uh, as a conference as a whole. Um, but we get Oregon-Washington. Oregon gets a chance to avenge its loss early in the season. Washington gets a chance to prove all the doubters wrong once again. When that game finished last time, I said it was a that was a playoff game. Those were playoff caliber teams playing a playoff caliber game. It was a phenomenal game. These two teams have changed since that game, though. We're looking at two very different teams, I think. You know, Oregon comes into this as the favorite. Nine points right now, uh, over under 65 and a half. Let's start with Oregon, a team that I think many people would say is one of the most complete football teams in the country. I, I would like to buck that trend a little bit because they have one area that is very concerning, in my opinion. And that is currently that they are the 114th ranked team in field goal percentage. You can't be the most well-rounded team if you're outside the top 100. There's only 133 teams in college football. They are sitting right now at 114th in field goal percentage, and that is a concern when you have a line at about nine. Um, because if Washington can turn this into a field goal game for Oregon, that certainly suits them. And this is a Washington defense that isn't great, for sure. Um, but I was really impressed recently in the Oregon State game as they got closer into the red zone, that Washington defense really stepped up. And I'm wondering if that's sort of what we're going to see here because Oregon is certainly happy to play a more methodical style of offense. Everybody has talked about it at this point. We've covered it at this point that Oregon's passing game is a more short to intermediate game. They still open it up from time to time. They are very explosive. Um, Troy Franklin is phenomenal. Um, one of the better wide receivers in college football. I've really enjoyed watching him play this season. But if Washington can just, you know, sort of not allow the big explosives and get into the red zone and their defense can play very similar to how they were playing in that Oregon State game, they didn't get pushed around there. It, you know, there's a path for them to cover this number, be in it. Um, the, the Oregon offense is really interesting because they are more methodical. Uh, the running back, Bucky, I've really enjoyed his play style. He's been fantastic. But the last couple of games, I've wondered if he started to run out of a little bit of juice. Um, so that'll be something to be mindful of in this game. You flip the ball, 
Washington's offense has not looked right in about a month or so. And I have speculated as well as some other people have speculated whether or not Penix is, is dealing with an injury. I'm wondering if we're going to see this like the end of uh, NHL playoffs where they just, you know, if this is the last game for Washington, because they end up losing this, if they don't release a, an injury report that has some type of injury to Penix, because he's just, he's looked off. This offense has certainly gotten a little bit more balanced, but I think that's because the passing game hasn't looked as uh, efficient recently um you look at the last month his numbers have really sort of dropped off a cliff um and that's concerning because dan lanning's defense is much improved this is a defense that has really stepped up recently um dan lanning's a fantastic motivator he's a really good defensive coordinator i look this battle between adjustments between these two teams is going to be really fantastic to watch on friday um I do give the edge to Oregon, and I don't think that's very surprising to a lot. I just think that they are playing a really high level of football right now. I do think, for the most part, they'll be able to to have their way in the trenches. Um, it's just whether or not the Washington off defense can turn this into a bit of a field goal game and not allow them to convert touchdowns. Um, because, like we said, special teams is a concern for Oregon. But if Oregon wins, they also need a little bit of style points, I think, to help get them into the playoffs. We'll see. I, this is one of those years where I, I do believe that this is the biggest argument for the uh, 12-team playoff. I've wanted eight teams. We're going to get 12. It'll be fine. I think eight would have been a better product overall, but 12 is still good. I like it. We're moving to a system that allows for us to actually figure out who the best team is to get good matchups. I think the reason the playoff has really struggled the last couple of years is because even though the committee says they're searching for the four best, that hasn't been the case. It's been the foremost deserving is really the metric when you look at it. And that's created some really bad matchups in a semifinal game. We're going to filter out those bad matchups in a 12 team playoff um, and, and get a really good semifinal final game. So I am going to rock. Let's rock with Oregon. Let's do it. It's on a neutral. Let's rock with Oregon at the nine. Uh, fire that in. Next game, we're looking at Oklahoma State, Texas. Line is at 15 and a half. Over under 55. Woof. Tough game for Mike Gundy and his crew. This is a team, though, that has played very much to its opponent. But you get a Texas team that is elite on the defensive line. This defense's weak spot is in the passing game. Oklahoma State has not shown a very efficient passing game this season. The offense runs through Ollie Gordon, one of the best backs in college football. And I do wonder, you know, where this goes for them. Because, like I said, Texas's defensive line is phenomenal. They control the line of scrimmage. Like, the reason Texas fans should have hope about the transition to the SEC going well is because of the line play. Like, they have SEC caliber Guys, they are big, they are strong, they are fast. They don't really get pushed around a whole lot. They have good cap gap integrity. So that's going to be really tough for the pokes here if, if they can't run the ball. And, and Ollie Gordon's been a guy that, you know, down to down efficiency hasn't been elite, but he busts open some big explosive runs here. And that's why his numbers are fantastic. And he has that big playability. I just don't know if you're going to be able to get that here because the way you have to attack Texas is vertically. The secondary is the weak spot. They give up big explosives in that secondary. Like you have to be able to attack those corners. And if you can't do that, because Bowman, he's developed nicely, but like, I don't know if he's really the guy to, to push Texas here in this spot. There's a lot of motivation for Oklahoma, obviously, to ruin the party for Texas. 
Texas needs style points here. Like they need some real, real style points here to, to really speak to the committee to say like, we should be one of the four teams. Um, and they need some things to break their way to get in. But as far as this game goes, you know, Stark does a really good job of scheming things up. This team offensively, it feels like at times have sort of taken their foot off the pedal. They can't do that here. So I do wonder because they're going to be pushing it. If that doesn't allow Oklahoma to maybe backdoor or hit an over here. Um, I haven't, I haven't made up my mind just yet. I kind of want to see where this number goes game day. So I will tweet out a bet for this or what I am betting for this on our Instagram and Twitter page at trophy kids podcast, check it out. Um, but I am really concerned about Oklahoma state's ability to produce offensively just because of how highly I believe that Texas defensive line is. It, it's, I mean, just watch them. They, they don't get bullied around. They have great gap integrity. It's, it's a really good product that they really need moving into the sec. Um, all right, we move to the SEC championship, Georgia-Alabama. Minus five is the line over under 55. This line has had some movement on it. Um, just like we are losing the Pac-12, we are also losing CBS coverage of the SEC, which I honestly am, am sad about. I think CBS's college football product has been phenomenal, especially at presenting the SEC games, because unlike so many other broadcasts, they have a real appreciation for moments and atmosphere, and they let the game sort of breathe. They're not always feeling the need to talk over things. And that has left people like myself, who are not in SEC country, a really high opinion of the SEC environment and what those game days are and how those games unfold. And like Vern Lundquist and Jim Nance and Gary and the whole product, the whole crew at CBS has done a really good job of presenting the SEC product to the nation. Um, it's helped inform a lot of kind of our view around, you know, the SEC culture. Um, and I, I'm going to miss that because I don't think the other, I don't think ABC, NBC, ESPN do as good of a job of letting the game shine, really, you know, Tony Romo on the NFL product it sort of speaks to this, like, it feels like he's always got to be talking. And at moments, you just kind of want to let the game shine and show itself. And I think CBS has done a really great job of that. And I think we're losing something with that. But we'll see what the product looks like next year. Um, but I just kind of want to give CBS its roses and the products that they've put out and, and the whole production crew that has gone into that because I've I've thought they've done a really great job of presenting that to the nation over the years. Um, Georgia-Alabama, this is a fascinating, fascinating matchup. Um, so many people you know, have talked about this idea of giving Georgia the benefit of the doubt if they lose this game for the playoff. No, you do not give Georgia the benefit of the doubt if they lose this game because this team is different than the last two iterations. It's a complete role reversal. This team is led by its offense, not its defense moving forward. You don't have the same dominant defensive line or linebacker play we've come accustomed to the last two years. Um, and just to kind of speak on that, Georgia right now, is 100 in tackles for loss per game. They are 28th in rushing yards allowed per game. They were number one in the country last year. They're 67th in sacks per game. Like, this is a, a unit defensively that is not getting after it like we are used to. And that's not necessarily a huge criticism because we've sort of gotten spoiled with the Georgia defenses. I mean, that the last two iterations of this Georgia defense are some of the top defenses you've seen in college football. I know last year's unit was arguably one of the best units I've ever seen. It was certainly one of the fastest units I've ever seen on the field. The linebacker play was phenomenal. The defensive line play was fan-freaking-tastic. 
Um, those were elite, elite units. And this, and that's not to say that this Georgia team isn't phenomenal. I have them power rated as the number one team in the country. They've been my number one team in the country. I'm just saying that this iteration is not the same. And we've seen that with teams that have mobile quarterbacks that don't, you know, have decent offensive lines. That's a bit suspect for Alabama. Um, because Georgia's whole philosophy, Kirby's philosophy thus far at Georgia is we're not going to blitz a ton. We're going to kind of pick and choose our spots, but we want our defensive line to get pressure naturally so that we can drop more guys back and really be efficient on the the passing game. Um, I wonder if that philosophy changes here in the SEC championship game because the strong point for Georgia this year is their secondary. That's a really good unit. Um, they're a physical unit. They play really well together. You don't have a ton of... of um, miss assignments or, or or blown assignments, I guess, is what I was looking for there. Um, so I do wonder if he tries to utilize his linebackers a little differently in this game and, and blitz a little bit more um, to make Milrow a little bit more uncomfortable because the Alabama offense, Milrow has talked about how he doesn't really love to be a, a designated runner, but oof, man, it is his best attribute right now outside of the deep ball, obviously. Um, and in games where they've really utilized his legs, they've been very successful. And the teams like Georgia Tech's, Auburn's, that have had quarterbacks that are willing to run and add that element to the game have had success against this Georgia defense. And so while Milrow has certainly improved, I think, in that short to intermediary game, he's definitely more comfortable going through his reads. Um, we talked a lot about in the early season needing to kind of slow things down for him making it more one read type of thing. He's certainly shown an ability late in the season that he's feeling more comfortable in this offense from a passing percentage. Um, he's still absolutely a silent assassin on the deep ball. I mean, 55% completion percentage for passes over 20 yards. It, it adds that explosive element to this Alabama offense. And so I do wonder, you know, this game ultimately comes down to who can make stops because you flip the script. I mean, this Georgia offense it's fantastic. Like they've been really good and they haven't really had to be pushed by anybody yet. And this Alabama defense, they haven't really faced a murder row of offenses. And the one truly competent sort of top tier offense they faced was Texas. And Texas had their way with them. Like Texas pretty much could do whatever they want in that game offensively. And I do wonder if that's going to play out here. This is why it once again comes down to who can get stops and why I've gone ahead and I bet the over at 55 and a half. I, I, I placed a wager on the over. I don't think Georgia or Alabama is going to pop up to six or seven again. It's been flickering. This is the problem with releasing the podcast so late in, in the week is a lot of these numbers have been picked through. Um, at five, I, I don't love Alabama. You get them into the touchdown range. That becomes, I think, the side. I don't know if they're necessarily going to win, but. I do think these both these defensive units are going to have some trouble getting stops. Um, I think both of these offenses are going to be pushing each other. Uh, and, and because of that, I, I mean, it's a really high-level chess match between Kirby and Nick Saban. They're, they're two guys that know each other very well. Um, and from a football perspective, pretty intimately. And so I do think Georgia wins this game. But it's not clear-cut. And it's going to come down to who can make the most stops. Alabama certainly presents a real challenge. It's sort of Georgia's nightmare in the SEC. Um, it's a win and you're in for Georgia. It's a win and you're probably in for Alabama because I have a hard time thinking the committee is going to leave out the SEC champion um, and uh, an Alabama team whose only loss is to Texas. 
and Texas should be in ahead of them because head to head should matter. And Texas went to Alabama and beat them. Um, this is why the 14 playoff is just an absolute nightmare because it, it eliminates the idea that teams can get better over the course of the season. And we're seeing that with Alabama. So I like the over, I, I placed a wager on the over. I, I think both these offenses match up really well against these defenses. Let's see if Kirby's willing to get out of his defense philosophies a little bit here. Um, and, and apply some pressure to, to Milrow. Because this offensive line, while it's gotten a little better over the course of the season, still isn't very good for, for Alabama standards. We'll say that. All right, Louisville, Florida State. Game is at two over under 46 and a half. Jeff Brom, the giant killer, is once again on a big stage for his team going up against Florida State, who unfortunately, as we've talked about, you know, loses Travis at quarterback. Tate Rodemaker steps in last week. I didn't think he played terribly. I, I thought that was a really tough game to, to be injected into because it's your first start with this team. You're going into the swamp, and while Florida is certainly down this year, that is one of the toughest environments in college football to play in. You're on the road. It's a high-stake, high-leverage game because not only is it your in-state rival, but your team has playoff aspirations. They have ACC championship aspirations. You're being thrown into the fire there. I didn't think he played terrible. He had really bad starting field position. Mike Nervell is a phenomenal schemer. He just is. He's a great offensive mind. And he's now had another week working with his quarterback in Tate Rodemaker and, and sort of tuning this offense to what suits Tate best because his skill set is different than Travis's. And I think we'll hopefully see that. You know, offensively, the Florida State offense has weapons, but those weapons appear to be slowing up a little bit. And I wonder if it's due to them just being a little banged up here. Defensively, Florida State's defensive line is fantastic. Um, so this is a, a good football team. We really need to see what Tate looks like with another week. If they do win this game, though, and the committee does put them into the playoff, do I think it's going to be a really bad matchup for them to play Georgia? Absolutely. Do I think Tate could be a little bit better a month later with the starters? Yeah, I think there's a possibility there. Um, let's see what he looks like this week. The Louisville defense, I if this game was played three weeks ago, I'd have more confidence in the Louisville defense, which is a very physical unit. The defensive line is very good. Um, but they appear to be a team, to me at least, watching them the last three weeks, that's tired. And they don't have a lot of depth. And while their frontline guys are really good, you're seeing the long season sort of wear on them. And this is the problem that teams like Louisville have where there's just not a ton of depth. And that's coming into factor here. Meanwhile, Florida State, a team that's had great depth, especially on their defensive side of the football, they rotate a ton of guys. They've rested a ton of guys over the course of the season. Um, this is where that that could be advantage of. But Jeff Brom, offensively, is one of the best offensive minds in college football. He does a great job scheming things up. Florida State plays a lot of man. Jeff Brom has and his offenses have been generally very successful against man defenses. Um, and that's due to the schemes and the plays he draws up for these types of games. And, you know, while Plummer has been a little shaky, I think this is a spot where they're going to really fine tune this thing to his skill set, have a play sheet that, that really kind of showcases his abilities. It's a really tough game. I do give a slight edge to Florida State because, you know, over the course of the season, they have treated this as we're just looking to get to the ACC championship game and have a shot at the playoffs. That's our expectation. And they played that way because they have not felt the need to really give a ton of snaps to their starters. The defensive line has rotated a ton of guys out. 
that team is is sort of fresh. That unit's very fresh. Um, the offense as a whole, defensively, both Mike Norvell's done a really good job of kind of keeping these guys fresh, rotating bodies in, not you know overusing them, just kind of getting out of dodge at on certain weeks. Um, and I think that pays dividends here. I I like Florida State. It's on a neutral. I think Tate's going to be a lot better this week. Uh, if Louisville was playing this game three weeks ago, I'd have a little bit more confidence in them. They look tired, but it's hard to go against Jeff Brom, the giant killer, because he's shown throughout his entire coaching career that against Goliath, that he plays the David role very well. And that's a tough game. But on a neutral, I think Tate's going to be better, and I, I do give the slight edge to Florida State here. Um, all right, Michigan-Iowa. Line is at 22.5, over under 45.5. This is truly just a terrible game. I mean, my God, what a bad, bad game this is. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's laughable. I, I was team total for the first quarter, you know, is a, a half a point. Um, I think I got to look that up. Yeah. It, <laughs> I mean, the team total on touchdowns for Iowa is 0.5. It, it's just ridiculous. Ridiculous. Um, I apologize. Give him more credit. Oh, first half is at team total point two and a half points. Two and a half points is where the Iowa team total sits for the first half. I mean, this is just terrible. Um, I, I think they are, there's a reasonable expectation though that Iowa could potentially cover this game because for Michigan, they're in as long as they win. There's no need to get style points. There's no real need to run up the score here. You get out to a lead early you're just going to kind of sit on the ball. You know, it's going to turn into that game where, you know, Penn State Michigan game where they're probably just running it a lot. They're resting guys. They're not really looking to, you know, exert a ton of energy here against an Iowa team who offensively is a dead man walking. Like they just they can't score points. It it's the same thing every year. Um I think Michigan's going to be in a, a pretty bad field position to start and they're just going to kind of slowly bleed out this game. Um, I think the unders really in play here. I don't hate if there's some games you want to tease teasing this, this under, um, I just think at the end of the day, Michigan's strategy is going to be very simple. Get out to a, a big lead and then just coast. Like we don't need to put up a ton of points. I was not going to push us offensively. Could they cover the number at 22 and a half? Yeah, absolutely. They could cover that number because their defense is really good and Michigan has no need to put up a ton of points here. It's a rest team. Like there's just, there's not a rev, a lot of rev or a lot of areas here for Iowa to be successful. I, I think, you know, I think Deacon Hills under props might be in play here too. It's just, this is the last, Iowa fans like enjoy your moment in the sun again because the product isn't really changing and you're not going to get back to the, the conference championship under this regime. It's just not going to happen. Offensively, you're just you're not good enough. Um, and and that sucks. Defensively, obviously, you're fantastic. Phil Parker should be on every short list of awards this season uh, for the effort he he puts together week in and week out from a defensive coordinating standpoint. Um, I think, you know, USC would be smart to try to bring a real big bag and see if he, they can't lure him away from the Iowa program. Um, but yeah, I just, I don't see this as a game that, that Iowa is winning. I don't see this as a game where they're putting up 
much of a fight, but because Michigan is going to, I think, get out to an early lead and then just kind of sit on the ball, the unders in play and the Iowa spread is not outrageous here. Um, so those are my thoughts on those games in the conference championship games. Uh, I'll do a recap on Monday. Also kind of do kind of a recap of my thoughts around the coaching hiring carousel and all that. But I wanted to get something out on this Friday before conference championship week, breaking some of these games down, talking about them, giving out some of the bets and the way I'm attacking this. So hopefully you enjoyed it. Hopefully this season has been a good one for you. I, I love and appreciate all your guys' support. Thank you so much. Um, I'm glad we could have a successful regular season. We'll be back obviously for bowl season and the playoffs. Let's see how this week rolls and, and we'll go from there as always. Peace.